One Easter Sunday, an old cowboy entered a church just before the service began. And although the old man and his clothes were spotlessly clean, he wore jeans, a denim shirt, his boots were worn and ragged, and in his hand he carried a worn-out old hat and an equally worn-out Bible. The church he entered was in a very upscale and exclusive part of the city. It was the largest and most beautiful church the old cowboy had ever seen. The people of the congregation were all dressed with expensive clothes and accessories, and the cowboy took a seat. As he took a seat, others moved away from him. Nobody greeted, spoke to, or welcomed him. They were all appalled at his appearance, and he did not attempt to hide it. As the old cowboy was leaving the church, the preacher approached him and asked the cowboy to do him a favor. Hey, before you come back here again, have a talk with God and ask him what he thinks would be appropriate attire for worship here. The old cowboy assured the preacher that he would. The next Sunday, he showed back up for the services wearing the same ragged jeans, shirt, boots, and hat. Once again, he was completely shunned and ignored. And the preacher approached the man and said, I thought I asked you to speak to God before you came back to our church. Well, I did, replied the old cowboy. Well, if you spoke to God, what did he tell you? The the proper attire should be for worshiping here, asked the preacher. Well, sir, God told me that he didn't have a clue what I should wear. He said that he'd never been to this church. Ooh. Come on, it's good to laugh. If the people of God aren't full of joy, then we're in big trouble, right? Well, believe it or not, this is my first Easter message. Uh, I've always been a supporting, uh, supporting pastor on staff at a church. I was a worship pastor for the last seven years at Red Hills Church in the Portland area. And uh, I'm excited to bring the Word of God on an Easter Sunday. But, but let me tell you, Easter is like the Super Bowl for pastors, right? And so we, we asked the, I, I've been asking the Lord this week, Lord, what is on your heart? What is it that you'd want to communicate to your people on the day that we celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ? And I heard the Lord softly speak to my heart, tell my people, tell my children how much I immeasurably love them and that my arms are open wide to every person today. Turn with me to Mark chapter 2, verses 1 through 12. We're going to be reading a, a passage of Scripture that uh, I don't think is typically read for Easter, but I, the Lord was speaking to me uh, in it today. Mark chapter uh, 2, verses 1 through 12. Let me give you a little background to, to this before we dive in. Jesus uh, has just been baptized by John the Baptist, and he's led, Scripture tells us that he's led into the wilderness by the Holy Spirit to be tempted by the devil for 40 days. And so he goes through this temptation, and he succeeds at, at, uh, at standing on the Word of God. And he comes out of the desert, and he begins his ministry. And he's attracting attention. Jesus is going throughout all these different areas of Israel, and he's, he's healing the sick. He's cleansing lepers, he's casting out demons, and he's gaining the attention of many, many people. And so crowds of people are coming from all over the place to hear this person, Jesus, speak. And um, he, uh, he's especially attracting the attention of the Pharisees as well. They're starting to, to see that this man is not only a good teacher, not only is he healing the sick, but, but he's doing something when he's claiming to heal the sick and cast out demons. He's, he's claiming to be God. And this is really frustrating the Pharisees. And so we're going to pick it up from Mark chapter 2, verses 1 through 12. It says, A few days later, when Jesus again entered Capernaum, The people heard that he had come home. They gathered in such large numbers that there was no room left, 
not even outside the door. And he preached the word to them. Some men came, bringing to him a paralyzed man carried by four of them. Since they could not get him to Jesus because of the crowd, they made an opening in the roof above Jesus by digging through it and then lowered the mat the man was lying on. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralyzed man, son, your sins are forgiven. Now, some teachers of the law were sitting there thinking to themselves, why does this fellow talk like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Immediately, Jesus knew in his spirit what, was in, what it was they were thinking in their hearts, and he said to them, why are you thinking these things? Which is easier to say to this paralyzed man, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up, take your mat, and walk? But I want you to know that the Son of Man has what? Authority on earth to forgive sins. So he said to the man, I tell you, get up, take your mat, and go home. He got up, took his mat, and walked out in full view of them all. And this amazed everyone. And they praised God, saying, we have never seen anything like this. This morning, I believe that there are four things that God wants you to experience. And these are four things that I believe Jesus wanted this paralyzed man to experience when he was having this interaction with him as he's lying on this mat on the ground. Four things that Jesus wants you to experience today. The first one is this. If you're taking notes, you can write this down. The first thing that God wants you to experience this morning is he wants you to experience the joy of being a child of God. The joy of being a child of God. Jesus looks at this man lying on the mat and he refers to him as son. He looks at him in the eyes and with compassion, with this moving compassion, Jesus looks at this man and calls him my child, my son. See, Jesus wanted this man to know that he belonged to someone, that he belonged to a family. This man had been outcast. He had been left uh, behind multiple times. Nobody but these four friends would give him attention. And Jesus looks at him and says, my son, Calls him his child because he wants him to know that he belongs, that he has a family, that he is loved. Genesis 127 says that God created you in his likeness and in his image. And if you don't believe me, you can read 1 John chapter 3. The whole chapter is about being a child of God. And verse 1 says, See what great love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God. For that is who we are. That is what we are. I understand that for many people, when I talk about God as a father, there are many people who struggle to see God as their father because perhaps you grew up in a home with a father who is cruel to you. You grew up in a home with a father who is distant or maybe he was absent altogether. And to talk about God as a loving father is a, is a struggle because all you see when you think of God is an earthly model that you were given. And so when you hear God referred to as a father, you immediately think of your father and it's hard. I understand that there's people with, with that mindset. See, we see ourselves often through the lens of other people. We allow the voices, the opinions of people in our life to define who we are. Our parents define who we are. Our friends, our teachers, our coworkers, our spouses, our bosses. They often define who we are when we listen to their opinions and we, we hold it with such value that we want to make them happy. We want to live up to their expectations for our life. But see, unless we see ourselves through the eyes of God... 
We can never fully live free of the opinions of, of, of other people. And in order to see ourselves clearly, we first need to see our Heavenly Father clearly. We first need to see His love for us, who He is and how He sees us, that we are children of a loving Father. See, the truth is that God is not cruel. He is not cruel. He's not angry. He's not waiting for you to make a mistake so he can punish you. For a time in my life, I, I believed, I, I was terrified to go to hell. Growing up, I, I went to this one uh, play at my church. I think it was Hell's Bells and Heaven's Gates or something like that. And there's this scene where, where, uh, where these people, they die and they stand before the judgment room and God opens up the book and he says, I don't see your name in the book. And suddenly the stage opens up and this red smoke and these demons come out and grab people and drag them to hell. That terrified me as a kid. It terrified me. And for a while, there was a season in my life where I just remember, I don't want to go to hell. I was more, I was more convinced that God, uh, his desire to punish me was greater than his love for me. The Bible in my head was this list of rules that kept me from having fun and doing what I wanted to do. And God was this helicopter parent hovering above me, just waiting for me to make a mistake so he can come down and smack me upside the head. And then one day in my bedroom, and I, ha I had an encounter with God's love, and I was never the same. See, I, I reached a point in my life where I, all, all of my life people had told me that God loves you. And if you grew up in church, if you're around Christians, they'll look at you and they'll say, Jesus loves you. God loves you. And, it, and they say, God, Jesus loves you. And, and it's one thing to know it in your head and to hear those words, but it's a whole other thing to understand it in your heart that God loves you. That, that God, and I, I came to God one day. I said, God, I want to know in my heart how much you love me. I'm done hearing it from other people. I want to experience it. I don't ever want to waver from that ever again. And so I went into my bedroom, and I, I just I put on some worship music, and I let the worship music just wash over me for about 20 minutes. And I was listening to the song, How He Loves Us. And it just repeats the words, He loves us, oh, how He loves us. About the fourth time that that song played, I felt the presence of God come into my room. And it was so strong, I could see in my mind's eye that, that God was wrapping me in his arms and rocking me back and forth, telling me how much he loved me. And uh, I, I had had encounters similar to this at camp before. And, you know, a couple of weeks, that feeling would fade because it was kind of the spiritual high, you know, that I would experience. And I said, God, I don't want a spiritual high. I want to know that you love me. And so I, 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 did some, I, I wanted to test this, this presence of God. And so I was in my room. My room was separate from my house. And, and I unlocked the door to my room, hoping that somebody would wander in my bedroom to see if they'd be able to experience this presence of God as well. Well, about 10 minutes later, my little brother, he comes in with his uh, best friend at the time, who's now my brother-in-law. He ended up marrying my sister. And uh, the two of them were coming into my room to play the Xbox because I had the video games in my room. And I, my back was faced to the door. And I turn around just in time to see my brother open up the door. And as soon as he steps through the threshold of my bedroom, he starts sobbing immediately. No idea that I was worshiping in there. No idea what I was doing prior to, to stepping into the room. But he was, he was hit with the presence of God, with the love that God has for him. And he began to weep with me. And, and, and my brother-in-law came in and, and they looked at me and said, What is happening in here? I said, this is the presence of God. This is the love of God. Come worship with me. And you know what? I don't share this story to, to over-emotionalize or dramatize uh, the presence of God because not everybody has a, has a story or an experience like this. 
But God spoke to my heart that day, and he, he, it was in a moment of worship and in a moment of surrender where he began to speak gently to me and tell me how much he loves me, how much he loves me, that he's not angry with me, that he loves me, and it changed my life. And from that moment on, I started, I started breaking free from the opinions of other people, started caring a little bit less what other people thought of me. Now I still care. My job is to stand on a stage and talk to people, so it's kind of important to me that people like me a little bit. I like Thank you. Appreciate that. But, but you know what? I'm not as concerned about it anymore. Things, things they, flow, they, they fall off my back a little bit faster because I know how much God loves me. God doesn't kindle anger against you. Did you know that the most quoted verse in Scripture scripture. In other words, this scripture is first seen in the book of Exodus, and since Exodus, it is quoted more times uh, throughout the Bible than any other verse that we see in scripture, and it's this one right here. This is the most quoted scripture in the Bible by the Bible. Are you ready? The Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in love. Someone here needs to hear this today. God enjoys you. God delights in you. He not only loves you, he likes you. There's a difference. I, you know, like I, I'm required to love my wife, right? But if it was out of this obligation to love her, that would be a difficult merit. I enjoy my wife. I enjoy spending time with her. God has a relationship with you where he not only loves you, he enjoys spending time with you. He delights in you. He's not angry with you. Oftentimes it's our own shame. It's our own guilt that stiff arms God and keeps him at, you know, at arm's reach. We say, God, I am, I am frustrated. I am, I'm broken. I feel guilty about the things that I've done in my life. Don't come near me. And we keep God away from us because we think that God wants to punish us and we're trying to protect ourselves. The reality is that God is trying to get close to you. He's trying to draw near to you. And if you would only put your arm down and open up your arms and allow him to embrace you, you can have a more intimate relationship with God. I remember the first time I spanked my kid, Gideon. I spanked him. And of course, you know, every parent knows this, that it breaks your heart a lot more than it breaks your kid's heart, right? I know I said the word spanked at church, right? And people are thinking, you spank your children? Oh my goodness. Oh, this is what happened. I, I, spanked, I spanked my son and, and I, my heart's breaking and I, I didn't like doing it. And I went down to, to you know, to, to hug him and he looks at me and goes, go away, dad. I don't want to see you right now. We laugh, but it's such a clear picture of our relationship with God, isn't it? Go away, God. I don't want to see you right now. We feel guilty. We feel ashamed. But God's heart is a father's heart. And he says, son, daughter, all I want is to be near you. All I want is to embrace you, to let you know that it's okay, that I forgive you. That we can have a good relationship. You don't have to hide. God is not distant. He's not absent. He deeply cares about your pain, your stress, your fears. Being a child of God doesn't mean that all of that goes away, though. That when you're a child of God, you still experience pain and fear and stress. But it means that you have a father who holds your hand in the midst of trouble. He walks with you through those valleys. He does all the heavy lifting. 
You can have joy in knowing that he loves you. And so the first thing that God, Jesus, Jesus wanted this man to experience was the joy of being a child of God. The joy of belonging to somebody. The second thing that Jesus wanted this man to experience, the second thing that he wants you to experience this morning, is the freedom to walk in forgiveness. Jesus looked at this man and he told him, your sins are forgiven. Why? The man was obviously there to get healed, Jesus. He's laying on a mat in front of you. He can't walk. Why are you telling him that his sins are forgiven? It didn't make any sense to the people watching. Well, Jesus was doing two things. First, he was making known to everybody watching that he had the authority to forgive sins. He knew that the Pharisees were watching. He was stirring up the pot. He was letting people know, I am more than just a man. I'm more than just a healer. The second thing that Jesus was doing is he was revealing that the brokenness of this man, the physical appearance of this man was, 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 an, uh, was the result of a deeper infection. All the brokenness that we experience in this world, the wars, the, the, uh, the poverty, the famine, the, the racial tension, the political division, all of it, all of this physical stuff is a result of of something deeper that humanity did in Genesis chapter 3. It's called sin. It's all a result of sin. And sin is disobedience to God. Adam and Eve were the first models of disobedience that we see in Scripture. God told them, don't eat the fruit of the tree. If you do, you will die. And what did the serpent do? He said, no, 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 no. You're not going to die. He was deceiving them. God knows that if you eat the fruit, you're going to be more like him. Come on, wait a second, pause. Adam and Eve were already like him. They were created in his likeness, in his image. They were already like God, but the devil plants a little deception in their ears and says, no, 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 God knows that you'll be like him. He doesn't want that. He, wants, he, he, he just doesn't want the best for your life. And what did Adam and Eve do? They ate the fruit. And what happened next? There's this once perfect union between God and mankind that was separated. And as a result, we are born into this world with a propensity to sin, with a bent towards sin, with a bent towards disobeying God and the things of the world. And it leads to death. So this man's outward condition, it was a reflection reflection of his inward condition. He was paralyzed and helpless On the outside, but on the inside, he was also paralyzed and helpless. He was bound to his filthy mat. Church, I've been there before. And some of you have been there before too. You know what it's like to live with a secret sin, to live in addiction, to live bound to sin, feeling like you're helpless, you can't break the cycle. Nothing you do can change what uh, these, these actions that you hate about your life. And it just feels like, what's the point? I, I, there's nowhere to go. There's no, I can't do anything on my own. Nothing you try is good enough. See, Jesus could have given this man the ability to walk, but he first wanted this man to walk in freedom. He could have said, get up, take your mat, and walk. But if that man would have got up, he still would have had shackles around his feet. He still would have had chains binding him to sin. And Jesus said, let me break those chains first so that when you live your life and when you walk, you can walk out of here a free man. He first needed the chains removed before he could walk in the freedom of forgiveness. Jesus wants you today to experience the freedom of walking in forgiveness. 
You no longer have to be bound by sin or shame or guilt, feeling like you're distant from God. That's not God's desire for your life. He wants you to walk in forgiveness. The third thing that Jesus wanted this man to experience is he wanted him to experience the peace of submitting to God's authority. The peace of submitting to God's authority. See, the Pharisees, they reacted in anger towards Jesus forgiving sins because they knew that Jesus was claiming to be God by, by saying that his sins were forgiven. And Jesus, I love this, Jesus knows what they're thinking. He knows what they're thinking in their heart, and this is what he says. He says, I've done this so that you may know that the Son of Man has authority. Some of your translations say power, has power on earth to forgive sins. Jesus knew how the Pharisees would react in this moment, and he intended to stir up religious people. Jesus wants to stir up religion. He wants to uproot it. Did you know that religion actually works against the things of God? Religion actually is opposed to the things of God because religion is man's attempt to get to God. I'm saved if I do more good things than bad things in my life. I've met people, I've had conversations. I say, why do you think you're going to heaven? Well, I'm a good person. I've done a lot of good things in my life. I I haven't done really any terrible things, and so... I think, I'm, I think I'm good. It's man's attempt to get to God. If I go to church every week, if I give to the poor, then God will receive me. He'll invite me in. If I portray a good person on the outside and I'm kind to everyone, then I can have a relationship with God. It's man's attempt to get to God. But the gospel says something different, doesn't it? Man didn't get to God. God came to man. Jesus came to earth. He came to to man. Ephesians 2, 8 through 9 says, For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not of yourselves, it's the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. No amount of good works or personal power, personal authority can save us from from death because our own righteousness is considered to be filthy rags according to the Bible. That we can try We can do our best, we can try our hardest, but the Bible says that it's all going to fall short of the glory of God. It's not good enough. Our power alone, we can try and try and try on our own power by our own works and our own authority. It's not good enough. And there's striving in that. There's tension in that. There's the pursuit of trying to always be good enough and never measuring up and it's draining and it takes the life out of you. But Romans 5.8 says, God demonstrates his love for us in this, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. There is a peace that is experienced when we rest in the fact that Jesus made a way for us to have a relationship with him, that we don't have to strive for it. We don't have to try by by our own works, that God already did the work through Jesus on the cross. I don't have to work for salvation. Jesus already made a way. It's the peace of submitting to God's power, his authority, what he has already done for us. The fourth thing that Jesus wanted this man to experience is the hope of a future with Jesus. How many of you know Jesus? This is why we're here today. Jesus is not dead anymore. He's alive. He's alive. Jesus told him to pick up his mat and walk. Listen to this. Jesus doesn't just save you from something. He saves you into something. He does, Come on, church, this is good. 
Come, Jesus doesn't just save you from death. Doesn't just save you from hell. He saves you into a purpose, into a destiny, into a plan for your life that you never thought you could live. Jesus saves you from death, yes, but he saves you into his glory. He saves you into a future and a hope. Come on, when I think about my future, I hope that I don't leave anything back when I die. I want to leave all my arrows on the battlefield. I want to leave every part of me spent, exhausted, knowing that I did everything I could. I, I, I let out every talent, every gift, every ability I thought I had. I want to lay it out there before I die. Not a piece of me to be wasted. You know, it's, it's one of the reasons why I decided to become a lead pastor, in fact, is because uh, for there was a season in our lives, you know, a, a couple of years ago, my wife and I were considering leaving the ministry. We were thinking, is this worth it? Is this is this do we want to keep doing this, or do I want to try flipping houses or something like that? <laughs> do, do something, we can be the next, you know, Chip and Joanna Gaines or something. The next fixer-uppers, everybody wants to do that. And, and, and the Lord spoke to me when I, when I was asking, Lord, should I, should I go, should I continue in the ministry? Should I become a lead pastor? The Lord spoke and said, well, if you don't, then when you die, you will always regret not knowing what could have happened if you would have just stepped out in faith. If you would have left it on the battlefield. Not a piece of you to be wasted. We attempt to better ourselves through self-help books. We want to reach the full potential of ourselves by taking these personality tests and understanding who we are. None of this stuff is bad. I do this all the time, in fact. I think they're great. But here's the thing. I don't even know my own full potential. You don't know your own full potential. You might think you do. But there's a creator in heaven who made you and who knows your fullest potential. He knows every drop of greatness that he placed inside of you. And he is the only one who can squeeze it out. Come on. God is the only one who knows our full potential and can get all of that greatness out. He created you in the truth is that he's the only one who knows exactly who you are. And a life that is surrendered to Jesus will go so much farther than a life that is lived for personal gain, for the things that I want to do. I had a conversation with somebody one time, and he was refreshingly honest with me. Uh, They knew, they they had grown up in the church, this person grew up in the church, and, and they knew the Bible standard for their life. They knew that the way that they were living was was not, God's plan for their life. They were living in sin and, and uh, they were choosing not to, not to turn from it. And, but they knew that Jesus was God. They knew that there was a heaven and a hell. And I said, if you know the truth, if you know that what you're doing is wrong and God would not approve, then why do you continue doing it? And you know what he said to me? It was refreshingly honest. He said, I'm not done partying yet. I'm not done with the plans that I have for my life. I'm not done trying to do all the things that I want to do because if I I surrender my life to Jesus, then it's all over. I don't have any say in my future anymore, and that is just not true. Some of us, we say, I'm not ready. God, I know you're calling me to, to, to get rid of this relationship in my life. I'm not ready to do it. God, I know you're asking me to get rid of this bitterness and resentment towards this person in my life, but I'm not ready getting rid of that control. Because if I give it to you, then I don't have anything left against this person. 
If I give you my anger, if I give you my bitterness, then this, I, I have nothing left against this person. I'm completely releasing them. And that's hard to do. What we don't realize is when we do that, we're the ones lying on the filthy mat on the ground. That's not living. That is not living. Jesus wants to show you a life that you never thought you could live. And it's not about material possessions. It's not about what you can get or the kingdom that you can build for yourself. I'm talking about freedom in every aspect of the word. Spiritual freedom, mental freedom, emotional freedom, the ability to wake up every morning with the hope that God has destined me for today. That God has a plan for me today. That God is going to use my life to impact people all around me. That my life is not my own. I don't have to fear death. I don't have to fear the opinions of people. I don't have to fear sickness and disease and, and, and every other thing because God loves me. He's on my side. He has destined me for a future. He has a plan for my life. The hope of a future with Jesus. So, Pastor Blake, those things sound great. How do I get them? How do I, what are the next steps? What do I have to do to experience the, what do I have to do to experience the joy of being a child of God, the freedom of forgiveness, the peace of submitting to God's power and the hope of a future with Jesus? I've got three things for you today. And if you're taking notes, you can, you can write these down. Three things. Number one, don't settle for the meeting when you can have the man. What do I mean by that? This, this man had some good friends. He's, this man got to the meeting, right? He's lying on his mat. His friends carried him there, but he's in the back of the crowd. He can see Jesus through a little window on the other side of the crowd. He made it to the meeting, but he needed to see the man. He needed to get up close. He wasn't satisfied with the back of the room. He wasn't satisfied with the gathering. He needed to meet the person of Jesus. Don't settle for this Sunday morning gathering or any Sunday morning gathering for that matter when you can have the person of Jesus Christ. Don't leave this place thinking that was a good word from Pastor Blake. I think I'm, I think I'm good for a while now. I've got some tools in my tool belt. No, don't settle for the meeting when you can have the person of Jesus Christ. He wants to be with you every day. He wants to have a relationship with you. The, the Bible makes it clear that God desires for all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. It also says in Romans 10.9 that if you declare with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And from that moment on, church, here's the exciting part. You are giving a new nature. It's no longer a nature. You know, when you're born into the word, the world, you're bent towards sin. You're bent towards disobedience. But now when you come to Jesus, you are bent towards the things of God. Amen. You have a desire to pursue holiness and righteousness. And you want the things of God for your life. God gives you a new nature. He gives you a new heart. And it's why Paul, when he writes to the churches in the New Testament, he doesn't say, to the sinners in Ephesus, to the sinners in Corinth. No, what does he say? He says, to the saints in Ephesus, to the saints in Corinth, you are no longer a sinner in Jesus. You become a saint. You become a person with a new, you you are a new person on the inside. God gives you a new heart. And with that new heart, you can begin the process of becoming more like Jesus. It doesn't happen. Yes, the new nature happens like that, but the process of becoming more and more like Jesus takes a lifetime. 
We are all in the pursuit of becoming more like Jesus. Some of the most imperfect people I know are people in the church. Come on, some church say amen. amen. Thank you. The most imperfect people I know are people in the church, but we're trying. We're, we want to look like Jesus. We're making our way there slowly but surely. And every day he's teaching us more and more how to become like him. Don't settle for the meeting when you can have the man. The second thing is surround yourself with friends who will take you to the roof. Surround yourself with friends who will take you to the roof. This paralytic had some amazing friends. Not only did they carry him to the meeting, but they, ru- they ripped the roof off of somebody's house. And they didn't care what anybody thought about them because their love for this man was greater than the reputations that they had. It was greater than the opinions of people. Their love for this friend was greater than all of that. Church people here, do you have friends like that? Do you have friends like that in your life? If you don't, get some. Find some friends that will take you to the roof. As the church, we're supposed to be that for one another. It's more difficult to create deep friendships in a corporate setting like this where you can't have you know, deep, meaningful, long conversations with one another. But instead, I believe that true freedom is experienced when we gather in small groups throughout the week. And we know each other on a different level. And we're able to talk and be honest about our lives and what is happening in our lives. And, and I, I want to do a little, a little pitch for next week. Because if you don't have friends who will take you to the roof, I'd encourage you to find some. But, but it's also my heart that every person at our church um, is involved in a small group. That, that we are not a church with small groups. We are a church of small groups. That we, as we grow and as the gospel increases in our community and our church begins to grow and we get bigger and bigger, we also need to get smaller and smaller at the same time and maintain those deep, meaningful relationships. So uh, I I would encourage you uh, tomorrow, I'm going to be sending out an email to our church tomorrow with a list of all the upcoming small groups that are going to be happening starting next week. So tomorrow you will get a list of all the small groups that are happening. There will also be a way to sign up for them online. And next Sunday we will have our small group leaders here. Uh, and you'll be able to sign up for small groups here at church. And they are only going to be uh, six to eight week small groups. One of them is going to be quite a bit longer because it's a freedom group. And uh, my grandmother's going to be leading it, actually. It's called Brave Enough. And if you're looking for freedom from, from trauma or pain in your life, you can sign up for that group. It's going to be a longer group. Uh, but most of our small groups are only going to be six to eight weeks. I think that we can all commit to six weeks, can't we? Yeah. Come on. I have a hard time joining small groups that never end, but I can commit to six to eight weeks. Six to eight weeks. And so uh, we're going to be launching a six to eight week small group campaign next Sunday, next week. And then again in the fall and again in the winter, we will have another stint of small groups. So if you need to get connected, maybe you're new to this church and, 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 and God's calling you to be a part of this family and you need to meet people, sign up for a small group. We have an amazing, amazing list of, of hosts and leaders that love people and would love to have you in their small group. But we all need to surround ourselves with friends who will take us to the roof. I'm going to ask Jennifer to come up as we close. Here's the last thing for today. Don't settle for the meeting when you can have the man. Surround yourself with friends who will take you to the roof. And three, allow Jesus to address the condition of your heart. Allow Jesus to address the condition of your heart. 
Jesus looked at this man, looked in his eyes, and he saw more than just a physical need. He saw spiritual death. Maybe you've come to church this morning with, uh, with something that you need. Maybe there's, there's healing that you need. Maybe, there's, maybe you need prayer for or financial provision or a prayer for one of your kids or whatever it is. Jesus looked at this man's need and, said, and saw something greater that needed to happen first. And it was a transformation of his heart. This morning, I invite you to take your heart to the Lord and allow him to assess it. Allow him to address the condition of your heart. Have you walked away from the Lord? Have you been far away from him? Have you, have you been needing someone to tell you that you're forgiven, that you can start again, that you have a clean slate? Let me tell you, that's the person of Jesus. He wants, to know, he wants you to know that you are forgiven that you can have freedom. What are the areas in your life that need healing and forgiveness? There is no better day than today, no better time than this to say yes to the person of Jesus Christ if you've never said yes to Jesus before. So here's what I wanna do. I'm gonna ask everybody in the room to stand up and I'm gonna invite our prayer teams to come forward, Kurt and Jethro and Cheryl. And uh, I'm gonna ask you to come forward and, and we're gonna pray a prayer of faith together. And and I want you to be bold in this prayer. I want you to allow Jesus to be, uh, to be near. Take your heart to God in this moment. And so let's all close our eyes together. Jesus, right now, would you stir up the hearts of your people here? Would you draw those who feel that fire, who feel that, that aching for you, Jesus? Even now, their heart is beating faster and they're... They know, God, that there's a decision that needs to be made. Jesus, would you, would you surround them with your presence right now? If there's anybody in this room who maybe you've walked away from Jesus and you need to come back home and, and you, you know that you have a father who has arms open wide, who wants to embrace you, wants to bring you back, that's you, I'm going to ask you to raise your hand in just a moment. And I believe that there's some people in this room who maybe have never said yes to Jesus ever in their life. Maybe you're watching online and that's you. Give us a comment in the chat box. Let us know that that's you so we can pray for you. But if that's you, if you are somebody who needs to come back to Jesus or somebody who wants to give your heart to the Lord, just all heads bowed and eyes closed, just raise your hand high for me to see. Raise your hand right now in this moment, right now. Don't hold back. Don't let this moment slip away. Don't settle for the meeting when you can have the man. Anybody in the room, hold your hand up high. Amen. Praise God. With the church, with the room, repeat this after me. Jesus, I love you. And I know I make mistakes. I know I've fallen short. And I can't do it on my own. Give me a new nature and help me become more like you through the power of your Holy Spirit. Forgive me of my sin and allow me to start fresh with you today. Amen. If you pray that for the first time, God has given you a new nature. This is a prayer of faith. 
It's a prayer of faith. We believe this, that, that the Lord, when we say those words, that we receive the gift of Jesus' death and resurrection in our life. And if you prayed that for the first time, then you belong to the family of God. But don't stop there. Don't, don't stop there. Continue to get engaged. Continue to surround yourself with friends who will take you to the roof. And always, daily, allow the Lord to address the condition of your heart because we tend to, to, to slip away and God wants to bring us back. God wants to bring us back. Church, can we lift up uh, an applause to the Lord and all the people that said yes to Jesus? Praise you. Praise you. Father, I thank you so much for this church and for your people. Jesus, we thank you for this Easter Sunday that you are alive and you are doing a work in all of our hearts. We trust you. We give you our everything. In Jesus' name, the church said, amen, amen. Hey, my grandmother wanted you to know that she made cookies for everybody. And so if you like some cookies, there are some cookies and coffee in there. God bless you. Have an amazing Easter. We will continue Daniel next week.